This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Tuesday, August 24th, 
And on Thursday, August 25th at 12.15 Eastern Time will be the UX Chit Chat Hour. Now, if you happen to be hearing this after the event and you're interested, you have to wait until the last Thursday in September. But I want to make sure to extend this invitation because it's really proven to be very enriching. A lot of people value it. People can't make every one. But we've been we've had a nice level of participation and and I found them to be pretty. Some people find them to be therapeutic. Uh, some people find them to be enriching, encouraging, educational. It, it has provided a lot of value to you extras all over the world. So I extend this invitation to everyone today. Join us for the UX Chit Chat Hour on Thursday, August 26th at 12:15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And again. We'll be there for roughly an hour and 15 minutes. So if you're there late, that's fine. Uh, there have been times we've extended it. We likely won't be able to do that this week, but it's something that we we just really enjoy. So come on out and join us. That's it. Let us go ahead and dive in. And the topic that we're going to cover, the new topic is overlooked events and foibles of the UX hiring process. The UX hiring process is a very hot topic. It's, it's interesting that now that the pandemic is basically, we hope it's wrapping up. It's definitely toned down a bit. I know that the, the Delta variant is creating problems in different places around the world, but it's nothing like it was a year ago. And right now, a lot of companies have ramped up their hiring, whether it's UX or anything else. Companies are ramping up their hiring. And if you're a hiring manager, if you are a person who's looking for a position, especially if you're new to UX, there are a lot of dynamics associated with the hiring process that some people, some things are very apparent, and then there are a lot of things that are not quite apparent. And and these things, especially if you are hiring, the focus this week is on people doing the hiring. When you're doing the hiring, there are some things that folks need to know. Now, if you're trying to be hired, you need to know the things that we're talking about as well. And we are likely going to have another segment that will talk about it from that angle because we're talking about things that are overlooked, right? We're talking about foibles. We're talking about things that really don't run the way that they should. And so we want to call these things out because if you don't know about them, you won't be able to prepare for them as is the the nature of a lot of our podcasts, you won't have a sense of awareness so that you can navigate them. You'll be blindsided. We don't want people to be blindsided. We don't want people to be caught off guard. We don't want people to to run into a situation and and just be left with their mouth uh, hanging open, so to speak, like a cartoon character. We want you to be informed. So I'm going to run down a list today because I really want to get through this list today and then we can look at it from the other angle next time uh, but remember this week in looking at the elements and the foibles of the hiring process we're looking at it from the perspective of the hiring company things that are wrong that need to be cleaned up things that are creating problems for us in the world of UX and I'm going to run down this list and do it in a way where I can point them out for you we're not going to spend a great deal of time 
dealing with each one of them because we're, of course, we have time constraints, but we want to make sure that folks have these on their radar. And another time we'll talk about some of the remedies. You can come up with some of your own strategies on how to handle them. If you are indeed a hiring manager or a hiring entity, you just need to work to get these things out of your organization because they are not helping you. Uh, They're not helping your team. They're not helping your users. They're not helping anybody. These things are causing problems. And the sad thing is these things that I'm about to mention are all extremely common. So you don't have to look hard to find them. And a lot of people are insensitive to them. And because they're insensitive to them, even when they want to do well, if you want to do well, but you're not sensitive to these things, they're pretty much going to be there. And and so you're not going to be able to really root these things out. We need to get them out. So as we get into this topic, let me lay a little foundation. And, and, And this foundation, think about the fact that NASA and IBM did some research in the early to mid 2000s. And in the research, they found, they they actually got some different results, but it's good to mention them and and bring them together. They said that for every dollar uh, an organization invests in UX, they get anywhere from 100, one of the reports said 100, the other report said as much as $250 in return. This is when early in in the the earlier days of UX, I should say, the most of the positions we now think of as UX positions were they actually resided in creative agencies and the corporations were, would bring in the agencies to do the UX work. It was not normal to see UX related positions in the corporate world. You didn't see them, even though IBM and NASA were doing the research, they were outliers as far as your standard corporate organizations were concerned. So, now, you, you think about that, the corporation started really getting excited about this information and you saw a shift begin to take place in the world of UX where different companies started to feel, hey, we should have these people in-house. We shouldn't necessarily rely on the creative agencies. Let's start building our teams. And in the midst of that, okay, great. Okay, we get it. Smart, yeah. In general, what happened and this, this will lead us into the first bullet point is that companies would bring UX talent in house. They would have seats available for UX team members. However, while they understood there's money to be made, there's benefits to be had in having UX teams and having these people in house instead of paying the, the millions of dollars really millions to the creative agencies, they did not get educated about UX. So a great idea with bad execution is basically what ensued. And that's the first part of the overlooked elements and foibles of the UX hiring process. One of the reasons we have issues with UX hiring today is because companies, many of them, have low to no UX maturity level. They don't understand what UX is. They don't really understand how UX fits. They, they understand there's an ROI to be had, but they really don't know how UX fits in the organization. They don't know how to engage with true UX professionals. And so 
everything pretty much goes awry. These are the companies that think that UX is UI. These are the companies that think that UX just comes along to make things look pretty. They don't know anything about information foraging. They don't know anything about cognitive load. They don't know anything about semiotics. They don't know anything about iconography, best practices. They just know that they're icons and just make an icon. They don't understand that only a very small portion of icons are understood without text. And so you get people who don't know anything about design, doing design work, and they don't understand that it's basically a science and they just throw their ideas together. A lot of dysfunction comes out of that. I know that a lot of organizations, they they do what they can with what they have, but we don't want to hide behind that and then not take a, a, a look, a very sound, honest, and introspective look at where we are when it comes to UX maturity. If you lack, you lack. And if you're going to get better, one of the first things you need to do is recognize that you lack. And then you also need somebody on board who can truly guide you, not just somebody who claims they can guide you, but somebody that can really guide you. So that that sort of ties into something else that we're going to touch on here in a bit. So the first problem is that the UX maturity models low to no existence. And when an organization lacks, when it comes to UX maturity, they're going to suffer. So please know and understand just because a company has UX people on their team or they have UX teams, they have people that are, that are running these teams. They have operations. They're bringing in somebody to be the UX manager does not mean that they're making progress when it comes to UX. Matter of fact, a lot of organizations have the seats. They have the people. They do not have the acumen. They do not have the practice. And so it's pretty much UX theater, as some people like to say, and folks just going through the motions. So let's make sure that we know and understand that today. One of the next things that happens, and and I'm going to, this is akin to the first one. A lot of companies allow non-UX professionals to run these departments, which is a sign, by the way, that people, the company lacks UX maturity because you cannot have people who do not know, people who do not understand, people who do not value UX, people who will discount UX and make it a visual design entity and don't understand all the other work that goes into it and the science behind it. When those people are running the UX teams, Many of them, in my observation and in my travels, they are in the business of hiring people that are just like them. They're not in the business of bringing in people who really know the discipline, who've been involved in the discipline, who truly have the acumen. They bring in other visual design folks who are in the business of making things look nice, people who are engaged in design thinking, as they call it, but they don't really understand how it works. They, they're not user-centered in their approaches, things of that nature, just because you have a UX practice doesn't mean you're practicing UX, basically. And, and folks need to know and understand this today. So you must make sure that if you're going to have a sound UX practice and you want to at least be in a position where you're driving UX maturity, you have to have one of two things when it comes to your leadership. You either have to have a true UX professional that's leading the charge. That's number one. If you do not, I have seen instances where a non-UXer is leading the UX team, at least the head over it when it comes to the organizational chart. 
But that person knows that they don't know UX, knows to bring in other people that do, and knows how to let the UX people who are on the team know what they need to do and then get out of their way and let them do it. If that person values and understands UX and knows that they are not the person to call the shots when it comes to the actual work and getting the work done, um, that actually has worked in some instances. And some companies have to do that because they just don't have, they just don't have what, uh, all of the resources to be able to go and hire somebody at that time. And some companies have just done it and they've executed it. Well, but it only works when that person is not faking it until they make it, where that person is not pretending they know something that they do not. Because those people who do fake it until they make it usually find people who have true acumen a threat. And instead of engaging with them in an emotionally intelligent manner, they actually just create problems and then the environment becomes hostile and not a good thing, which is also common today in the world of UX. Some people don't like me talking about it. And shame on you, because if you don't let people know, they're going to run into it. And when they suffer, that's on you, because I'm telling folks about it. And I will never stop telling folks about it. So you must make sure that that be careful about letting non-UXers run your UX team, because that is one of the issues, because those people will not excel in hiring. They will bring in people that don't know anything. Matter of fact, the rise of fake UX positions is is as a result of things like that because these people are just creating things or they're allowing things because they don't respect the discipline so they're not going to defend the discipline. They're not going to to make sure that, that they're doing things from a perspective of integrity with regards to the discipline. So that's an issue today. Next, some people, many people, fail to evaluate candidate competencies. They don't really, they don't understand a lot of times what true UX competencies are. So when it comes to evaluating talent, they really don't know what they're looking for. And that even happens when you get down to the point of looking at portfolios, and we'll be talking about that at length in the not too distant future. But when they look at the portfolios, they don't know how to look at the person going through process. They don't know what to look at in the person's work. The person is rolling out all these uh, aesthetically beautiful things that really don't tell them what problem was solved. It really doesn't tell them what that person contributed to the problem that was solved, the design problem that was solved. They don't know what competencies to look for. And so con- uh, consequently, a person slips through the cracks and now the team is in a bad way, which eventually your C-level people are going to see it. Eventually, which is going to spell, uh, is going to create a problem for your department. You don't want to be there. You want to be better in your hiring upfront. In addition to that, next bullet, there's a failure to evaluate critical thinking skills. During the interview process, when you're talking to candidates, it is important to try and understand how well they operate from the perspective of critical thinking. And I'll throw academic thinking in there as well. Some people talk about academic thinking like there's something wrong with it. That just means that you're more holistic, that you know how to lay aside any biases, It means that you are willing to take a look at things from several different angles so that you can achieve a a conclusion that is more fitting for everyone. That's simply all it means to be academic in one's thinking. But if you don't see the critical thinking, if you don't see the academic thinking, that should say, "Ah, 
I don't know about this candidate, but a lot of people aren't looking at it at all. They're looking to see whether or not the person fits the culture, and you should look to see whether or not the person fits your culture. But then again, that's, that comes with an asterisk because some culture fits can't do the work. The bottom line is you need somebody who's a culture fit, and, and that really comes, we, we have to talk about that another time too. I could spend a whole episode talking about that. But it, why look for a culture fit when the person doesn't have the acumen? It just, it just doesn't make sense. So we'll keep it there. We'll leave it there today. Next, some people are overly strict when it comes to the software applications that an applicant knows. I have heard stories about people. They'll say, we absolutely will only hire someone if they know Figma. If they don't know Figma, we're not going to consider that person at all. I've talked to people who said that they were not considered for a role because they did not know Figma or something on that line. And and, and it really doesn't make any sense because when you excel in UX, you, you might have your favorite tool, but the truth of the matter is getting the work done is a tool agnostic trait. We're not dependent upon a tool to get the work done. We're not UI people. We're UX people. So if you're UX, it's all about getting the work done and you can translate from application to application. But when an organization throws one person out of their consideration because they don't know Figma or they don't know Envision or they don't know Acture, and, and the, but the person has all the acumen and all the other traits and all the other skills and mindsets, that doesn't make any sense. So you'll end up hiring somebody who knows Figma, but they lack a whole lot of other things. That is really a bad practice and it needs to stop. It is, again, as I said earlier, unfortunately, very common today. Next, people overrate design processes. And I have a separate talk that goes into issues about how that design processes are basically overrated. When you've been doing UX for a while, or even if you just started doing UX, anybody can learn a process. Every Number one, everybody has a process. They have steps that they follow, whether they document them or not. And the fact that somebody doesn't do things the same way that you do them is, is frankly, it's silly because every organization does things a little bit different than, than another one. So no, very few people are going to do things just like you, which leads me into the next bullet point. Some folks discriminate because a person does or does not have agile experience, which quite frankly is hilarious because in all the companies I've worked at, that that practice agile or so they say no two companies have I've, I've never seen two companies that do agile alike so when someone says that they do agile you actually need time to figure out what they mean when it comes to do agile agile some people say they're going to do a stand-up and they start doing work some people say they're going to do a stand-up and the next thing you know folks are telling their life story some, you know, so, I mean, just that one of the most base aspects of agile and, and you could take 20 companies and they all behave differently in that setting. You just want to know if someone is familiar with agile and whether or not they have any agile experience and the truth, truth be told about it, whether a person does or doesn't, let's say a person doesn't, they can still be taught what's needed with practically no effort. It's not like agile is rocket science. It's not. So folks need to stop discriminating against folks that do or do not have agile experience and how they have it. 
some people you have agile experience, but but you use Jira. We use Microsoft's TFS. Oh, you have agile experience, but 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 you use TFS and we use Jira. And then they they begin to scrutinize people based on something that is it's it's just a tool. It doesn't really matter. So someone can learn those things, and then you you waste the company's money interviewing more people, and you pass up on a great candidate over something that's completely illogical. You don't you don't want to be in that position. Next, you have the actual hiring process or the interviewing process. A lot of companies include unskilled people in the interviewing process. They don't know how to how to evaluate talent. They don't know what questions to ask. They don't know how to behave. They don't know that you could get sued by coming into an interview and asking the wrong questions. I had an interview once where the person started the interviewing process by, well, that particular session, that part of the interview, by complaining for roughly 10 minutes because they were upset that the company was opening an office in the area where I lived. That's not the way to start an interview. And another little tidbit, companies don't realize that how a person behaves during the interview process is a reflection of your company's brand. So if you let people go into that interview and do silly, misguided, unprofessional, biased, discriminatory things, that is an extension of your company. That is an extension of your organization. So you want to be careful. I have worked for companies that actually put people who are going to have the responsibility of conducting interviews through interviewing training. What a bright idea. That is fantastic because people need to know and understand what they should and shouldn't do. And the mere fact that you have interviewed before doesn't mean you know how to interview others. And and people need to understand what's at stake from a brand perspective when they're interviewing. You need to be professional. You need to be considerate. You need to avoid certain things, certain questions, certain behaviors. And a lot of people just don't have that. And then basically... Yeah, some people that participate in the interviewing process and don't have the acumen themselves. And I have found that when people who lack skill interview people who do have skill, they will discriminate against the the qualified candidate. I cannot tell you all the times I have experienced discriminatory behavior in the interview simply because the person did not want me to move on further in the process. People will discriminate. People will sabotage interviews. And the company doesn't understand this because they end up never paying the price for what was done. At least they don't think so. But better believe that those stories get out and people understand, oh, don't work for this company. Oh, watch out for that company. That kind of information does make it through the grapevine. So it's really sad that the people do things like that. But it is real, folks. And we need to be prepared for that. Last ones. The dreaded design exercises. Folks think that these things are great. Uh, these design exercises are really, really sad. And and one thing I have found is that it doesn't really give you the nece- necessarily the insights of where a person is when it comes to critical thinking, academic thinking, emotional intelligence. You're not necessarily going to see that in the midst of a design exercise, and those can be full of bias. I I had an interview once with a company 
And we went through the design exercise and the design exercise was conducted by the research team. Now, if you know anything about UX, you know that that's already a bad move. If these folks are researchers, <laughs> the fact that they're overseeing the design exercise is pretty strange. And sure enough, they did things from an extremely biased manner. They did some really uh, terrible and semi-toxic things during the process. And I've seen a lot over the course of my career, of course, but it's just really sad. Design exercises can be used to, to create a lot of problems. I, I just thought about another instance where I had a design exercise. They gave me homework and I was supposed to come in and walk everybody through my presentation the next day. And I come to the room, there's eight, nine, 10 people in the exercise, many of which really were not skilled enough to evaluate anything. I even had somebody ask me a question during that session that made absolutely no sense. I won't say what it is because I don't want anybody to know who the company was, but it was a really big and powerful company. Uh, and a, but a person asked me a question that made zero sense. And, and so I just realized, okay, this is over. <laughs> when you're being interviewed by somebody that doesn't know anything, it, it changes the scope. And if the company sent somebody to interview you, that's not even qualified to do the work in the job they've been hired to do. Yes, this does happen as well. Folks, that's a problem today. And that's why the UX hiring process is so dysfunctional and so awkward today. But next, and the last one, we need to make sure something that just does not happen in not only the interviewing process, but also when it just comes to UX operations. Nobody monetizes ethics. And a lot of the things that I just mentioned to you, when ethics are in place, these things simply don't happen. But when ethics are not in place and nobody monetizes ethics, and most companies don't monetize ethics, you need to understand that when you're ethical, that actually is a huge boom, or boon, I should say, for your company. When people do things the right way, when people approach others in a professional manner, when people take the time to be considerate during the interview process, when people represent the company and the position uh, the right way, when people don't engage in bait and switch, yes, that happens a lot too, that has sound monetary impact for the organization. And folks need to start monetizing that. You know, just going back to our original foundation as we begin to wrap up. Remember, for every dollar you invest, you're going to generate anywhere from $100 to $250 in return, asterisk. That only happens when you hire the right people. It only happens when you do things the right way. It only happens when you embrace ethics because when all of those things are gone, when all of those things, when your operation is void of these things, you are not going to get the ROI that somebody projected that you would receive. You're not going to be able to offset the cost to your support teams. You're not going to be able to reduce development time and development dollars. Not when you bring in the wrong people. Not when you do things the wrong way, not when you bait and switch, not when you play games, not when you think that a design process that somebody had 15 
minutes to digest and another 15 minutes to put something together that you want to judge someone's entire career based off of a 30 minutes worth of exchanges, folks, that's not realistic. And I have found, going back to that point, that teams that lack the ability to evaluate talent rely on things like portfolio reviews and design processes. And yeah, it's okay to see the portfolio review. It's okay to have a design exercise in general, but it has to be structured the right way. And the people, again, that don't have the skill, they rely too heavily because they don't know how to evaluate. And then when they do evaluate, they do it the wrong way and people suffer. Your own team is going to suffer. That person suffered. The organization suffered. And everything that all of us do at any given time impacts the discipline as a whole. We need to be better. We need to hire with more integrity. We need to hire with more excellence. We need to hire with more efficiency, with more understanding. We need to have a good UX for our hiring process today. But these things are issues and they're only going to be fixed one at a time. But we can start by being aware of it. And that's why we call it out today. Let's make it a point. And I'll run over these again real quick as we wrap up. The UX maturity model factor needs to be straightened out. It needs to be, you need at least need to be on track. Need to stop letting UXers run UX departments. And a lot of folks are going to hate that I said that. Why? Because they're getting paid and they want to keep getting paid. Well, go if you're already in that position, just go develop the acumen. But know that if you're in that position, you got hired in that position, you are a problem. <laughs> so unless you transition, unless you make a 180, you remain a problem to that organization because that just does not work, folks. Remember to evaluate candidate competencies. Remember to evaluate critical thinking and academic thinking skills. Remember not to be overly strict. If somebody knows UX pen, fine. If they know Axter, fine. They understand what it means to use the tool to get the job done. But don't be strict and require one particular tool. Don't be overrated, uh, uh, or I should say, don't overrate the, the design processes that a person uses to get the work done. It's They're all basically the same and they're called something different when you really look at it closely. Don't discriminate against people because of their, their agile experience or lack thereof or how they've gone about doing it. Because truth be told, everybody does agile differently. So just, are you familiar with agile? Good. Okay, we'll show you how we do it when you get in here. Stop including unskilled people in the evaluation process. They don't know what to do. And if you're short, then come up with a different process, but you got to stop letting unskilled people conduct interviews because that that's making the company look bad and it's hurting your team. Beware of design exercises. They're not the end all be all. If you're going to have them fine, but just look at certain aspects of it and draw from that. Stop, stop putting too much emphasis on it because it's not what it appears to be. And then lastly, how about we start monetizing ethics it is worth it. It's worth a lot to the organization. It's worth a lot to you. Let's get it done. And if we can do these things, if a lot of people are on board with this, we will make UX hiring better from the organizational perspective. Get it? Got it? Good. Folks, that's all the time that we have for today. Again, thank you 
for joining me on today. And and by the way, if you ever have a topic you'd like for me to cover, shoot me a note. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Get the note into me. We're going to be setting up a website soon too, so you can drop me a notes there. But let me know if there's a topic, and we will do everything we can to address those topics to speak to the UX community at large. But until next time, that's all the time we have for today. So we're signing off here. This is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.